Welcome to the Revolutionary Radio Project. I'm your host, Rob Skiba, and I'm excited to be joined once again by my friend and co-host for this Genesis and Enoch edition, Zen Garcia. Are you there, sir? I am, brother. How are you this evening? Yeah, I'm good, man. Yeah, it's been a pretty busy week for me, but uh, doing well. Me too. Yeah? What you been up to? Uh, Just trying to get the the whole thing for the take on the world, and then I've got the two for, you know, the end times mystery reveal conference as well so working on three presentations in three (laughs) weeks time yeah dude uh you know they gave me just pretty much open freedom to do whatever i wanted you know because we're streaming and Mm -hmm. so i thought you know i'm gonna do a big summary of like everything i've done in 10 years and (laughs) nice (laughs) so it's like uh it's 12 hours yeah, it's pretty close. No, I mean, not, well, let me see. I did part one yesterday. That was two hours. Part two today is looking a little over three. I'm trying to hack it down. And um, the part three and four, I'm doing four presentations. Uh, wow. Are probably each going to come in somewhere in the two-hour ballpark, I think. So, um, And then what I'm going to do is kind of pull what I think is appropriate for your conference uh, out of that somewhere. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I think I have, what two one-hour sessions I think at yours, right? Yeah, <clears throat> so that should be easy enough. Yeah, I should be able to you know because I'm I'm recording these you know because it's all pre-recorded stuff. Uh, right. So, so I know exactly how long the presentation will take. You know, as long mm-hmm. as long as I don't go any rabbit trails babbling. You know, like I'm yeah, right. too prone to do. <clears throat> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's kind of exciting. You know, it's it's stuff I've certainly talked about before because it's it's a like I said, it's more or less a cliff notes of everything I've done in the last ten years. But mm-hmm. looking back at a lot of that material, I mean, most of it I still believe the same way. But I can see how, you know, there's still also a fair amount of things that have evolved in my understanding of things and even changed my views on some things. So it's been interesting, and kind of enjoyable, but time consuming. Man, it just takes so much time. Yes, definitely. Uh, And that is great also, you know, as far as uh, being able to see the evolution of your thought and understanding. And it's good that you're not also rigid and completely set, Mm -hmm. you know, and unwilling to listen to new possibility because we're all, you know, still learning. And we, nobody knows everything. So, and that's why these kind of conferences... Uh, are good for doing exactly that is uh, opening you to what other people are working on and things that they are looking into and the topics of interest um, and so it's really exciting 40, 40 speakers and so many presentations that's going to be pretty amazing I think yeah I think they're uh, if I understand it right they're streaming it on Robbie Davidson's Celebrate Truth channel and uh, it's a four day event I believe so, 
you know, I was like, geez, you know, at the rate I'm going, I could take up the whole four days just <laughs> for my presentation. Right. But, you know, I guess people can choose what they want. I'm not sure how Robbie's going to, how he's doing it. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess he's probably going to do like a live stream and maybe do a playlist or something with everybody's yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's got it. the 24-hour channel too, so. Yeah. Um. Well, and that's the good thing about it too is because it is streaming and it's pretty much on demand that uh, – you know, if you don't want to sit through my three-hour presentation, that's that's fine. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you know, go listen to somebody else's. Right. I think probably a lot of people listen to um, try to catch everybody's. You know, or at least as much as they can, or at least the things that are of interest to them, anyways. Yeah. Yep. So, um, <clears throat> I was looking at where we left off last week. Uh, we we got on some rabbit trails about. <laughs> Uh, uh, health and eating and not eating right. meat. And that. Did you were you able to check out that link at all? Did you were you ever? I did. Uh, I looked at it. I haven't ordered anything yet, but um, yeah, it all all looks really good uh, yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're happy with and it. They, yeah, they offer a lot too. I mean, I was uh, really surprised. Yeah, there's there's pretty much something there for everybody. I think you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, I think the website is trifectanutrition.com, I believe is the website, for people that are interested in looking into it. But um, <clears throat> we left off. Uh, uh, we had done uh, Jubilees Chapter 6. So <clears throat> my thought maybe is uh, we could read Genesis 9 and uh, maybe switch over to Jubilees 7. All right. Uh, I've got that pulled up and... I can also pull up the the Targum for Chapter 9 as well. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, if you want to do the Targum then, let me... I can do uh, King James Genesis 9, so why don't we do that? Let me switch over here. Okie dokie. Oops. Hang on a second. All right. Genesis 9. <clears throat> and God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every morning, oh, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things but flesh with the life thereof which is the blood thereof shall you not eat and surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it and at the hand of man at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed for the image of God made he man and you be fruitful and multiply bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you, and every living creature that is with you, of the fowl of the cattle and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, 
This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I'll remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, and that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. And the sons of Noah went forth of the ark, were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine, and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall, be, shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood, three hundred and fifty years and all the days of Noah were nine hundred and fifty years and he died all right chapter nine from the Aramaic Targum and the Lord blessed Noah and his sons and said to them spread forth and multiply and replenish the earth and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and on every fowl of the heavens of all the earth swimmeth forth and all the fishes of the sea into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing which liveth to you shall be for food, as the green herb have I given to you the whole. But flesh which is torn of the living beast, what time the life is in it, or that torn from a slaughtered animal, before all the breath has gone forth, you shall not eat. But the blood of your lives I will require of every animal which hath killed a man, I will require that it be put to death on his account. And from the hand of the human being, from the hand of the man who hath shed the blood of his brother, will I require the life of a man. Whoso sheddeth the blood of a man, the judges by witnesses shall condemn him unto death. But he who sheddeth it without witnesses, the Lord of the world will bring punishment on him in the day of the great judgment because in the image of the Lord he made man and you spread yourselves abroad and multiply bring forth in the earth and increase in it and the Lord spake to Noah and to his sons with him saying I behold I establish my covenant with you and with your children after you and with every living soul that is with you of birds and of cattle and of every beast of the earth that is with you, of all that go forth from the ark, of every beast of the earth 
and I will establish my covenant with you, and I will not again cause all flesh to perish by the waters of a flood, and there shall not again be a flood to destroy the earth. And the Lord said, This is the sign of the covenant which I established between my word and between you and every living soul that is with you unto the generations of the world. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of the covenant between my word and the earth. And it shall be that when I spread forth my glorious cloud over the earth, the bow shall be seen in the daytime, while the sun is not sunk or hidden in a cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between my word and between you and every living soul of all flesh, that there shall not be the waters of a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between the word of the Lord and every living soul of all flesh that is upon the earth. And the Lord said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have covenanted between my word and between the word for all flesh that is upon the earth. And the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, Japheth, and Shem is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and from them they were spread abroad to dwell in the earth. And Noah began to be a man working in the earth, Jerusalem. And Noah began to be a righteous man, and he planted a vineyard. And he found a vine which the river had brought away from the Garden of Eden, and he planted it in a vineyard, and it flourished in a day. And its grapes became ripe, and he pressed them out. And he drank of the wine, and was drunken. And he made himself naked in the midst of his tent. And Sham, the father of Canaan, beheld the nakedness of his father, and showed to his brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a mantle and bared upon the shoulders of each, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned back, and the nakedness of their father they did not behold. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew by the relation of a dream what had been done to him by Shem, his son, who was inferior in worth on the count that he had not begotten a fourth son. And he said, A curse is Canaan, who is his fourth son. A serving servant shall he be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, whose work is righteous, and therefore shall Canaan be servant unto him. The Lord shall beautify the borders of Japheth, and his sons shall be proselytized and dwell in the schools of Shem, and Canaan shall be a servant to them. And Noah lived the, after the deluge three hundred and fifty years, and all the days of Noah were nine hundred and fifty years, and he died. Uh, so I'm assuming that the way that's written, it's, it's ham, but it's just the way it's spelled? Yeah, C-H-A-M. Yeah, yeah it, it, it sounded like you were saying Shem, but I'm sure it's like my ham or something like that. It's probably yeah, was... ham. Yeah, or, <clears throat> yeah, they, yeah, the, yeah, I can't do this, yeah. scene, but yeah. yeah. The, the guttural spit on everybody. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Ham! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it is. Uh you know, I mean, it's interesting hearing it. I mean, I've, I've read it many times, certainly, but but hearing it, you know, I, I mean, I know that 
the phrase the nakedness of the father is mm-hmm. a reference to the mother or in other words the right. wife, the wife of the father the you know uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but listening to it it doesn't sound that way mhm you know what i mean <clears throat> right I mean, yeah without the interpretation in leviticus um one which you know even myself before i had learned um i thought that there was possibly even some kind of you know homosexual relation going on here mm-hmm. um but uh, i don't see it that way anymore i interpret it differently and that's because of the leviticus 18:8 and there's also another passage um like 23 or something mm-hmm. of that nature that confirms and so there's two witnesses that it is in relation to the to the wife as far as the nakedness yeah yeah i mean i mean it's definitely a phrase that we see in the book of leviticus as a reference to uh the wife of noah um <clears throat> and i'm actually I, I was just doing that part of my presentation today as a matter of fact um the presentation i was working on today was dealing with the pre-flood return of the nephilim the post-flood return of the nephilim and the tower of babel uh, that whole time frame. So we're, it's like I'm going over this all over again here, uh, <laughs> you know, f- for this show. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> let's see, we got about nine minutes before the break. Uh, I, I'm going to read Jubilee 7, I think, when we get back from the break then. Um, right. So, but uh, y- uh, what you just read, I don't know if it was from Jerusalem or which one it was, but it said that Canaan was his fourth son? Uh, yeah, that's what it says as far as Ham, yeah. Canaan was his fourth son. That's really interesting. Because, uh, yeah, in the Genesis account, we certainly don't get any any evidence of any other offspring being around. Um, let me put that back up on the screen here. <clears throat> yeah, that is interesting. I mean... In the Genesis account alone, all we get is Noah and his three sons. Uh, no mention of his wife or the son's wives or anything else. And then all of a sudden this curse be Canaan deal. Uh, right. And just to be clear for everybody out there, there's, you know, people are just, people are crazy. But there's, you know, people out there saying that I have said that Ham is cursed. I have never, ever said that. <laughs> Ham's not cursed. You know, they they misinterpret what I'm saying when I talk about the that the post flood Nephilim trace trace back to offspring of Ham, but I never said mm-hmm. Ham was cursed. Canaan's cursed. Right. Canaan's cursed. Yes. Clearly, Canaan's cursed. Right. Uh, <clears throat> but actually, yeah. Ham is blessed because yeah. God blesses Noah and and his sons. sons. That's right. So yeah. so Ham participates in the same blessing as his other brothers. You know, right. Shem and Japheth. Uh. And he had four children, um, and it's interesting that it refers to him as the youngest, Canaan being the youngest. Uh, we also have Mitzrayim put in uh, Cush <clears throat> there. Uh, but I would have never, I would have always imagined Canaan to be first, that he was the firstborn, the oldest mm-hmm. of all three sons uh, of Noah. Right. So it have given me something to drill in. I'm, I'm going to, well, we'll see what the Jubilees has to say if it unpacks it more. Right. Maybe even look over in Joshua and see if Joshua gives us any more on that too. Yeah, that's a good idea. 
Yeah, so... Uh, I'll we... pull up something else to see. Okay. Uh, you know, one thing I do want to point out, because uh, I can, <laughs> is uh, the smoking gun that obliterates the multiple incursion thesis, which is Genesis 9, 18 and 19. Uh, it says, And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. The Canaanites are the ones that the Israelites were repeatedly told to utterly destroy. Kill the women. Destroy. Kill the, yeah, yes. everybody. Women, children, animals, everything. You know, take, take out everybody. <clears throat> and so, you know, if we wanted to know where the Canaanites came from, it's telling you right here. Ham is the father of Canaan. And then, if you're really missing the point, the next verse said, These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread or populated. That's that's pretty definitive <laughs> right there. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> um, let me see if I can share something else here. Uh, I did. Do, 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 what's that? Deal with that. Hang on a second. Uh, I've created a timeline chart uh, called the 350 post-flood years of Noah's life. And uh, hang on just a second. <clears throat> For those on YouTube here. Uh, and when, you know, of course, I love to lay things out as timelines because it helps me to especially put things in chronological order and see where everything f- fits, you know. And looking at the offspring of Noah, this is 350 post-flood years of Noah's life. Shem, our fact said, and actually in Jubilee 7, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's 7, where they bring in Canaan. It's either 7 or 8, I think. Um, maybe even 10. Do you, when they bring in another guy, another character that's not listed in the King James uh, genealogy. Mm-hmm, right. But when I was, and, and that may shift things a little bit here, but just going by the King James chronology of you know, who begat who at what age, uh, Peleg shows up uh, just over a hundred years after the flood. And the name Peleg means to split or divide as if by a canal of water. And his brother Joktan, uh, that name means to be made small from something bigger. So many people, and myself included, have uh, assumed that the uh, division of Peleg was the same as the division at the Tower of Babel. And that not only was the languages divided at the Tower of Babel, but the assumption was that the earth was itself, that Pangea, whatever shape you subscribe to of the earth, uh, that Pangea broke up at that same time but when I laid this out as a timeline chart I found that that's not the, the case that uh, the Tower of Babel is you know it's way down the end of the, of this timeline chart you know it's close to the end uh, to, to the time of Noah's death actually uh, you know within probably 50 years or so of Noah because <clears throat> um, Nimrod's born in 1908 which is one, two, um, about, about 300 years after, the, uh, no, 250 years after the flood. So the Peleg event, that ha- his name means to divide or split, and it has to do with water. And Joktan means to be made small from something bigger. So, I mean, the point that I'm making is that we see in the Bible that people name their children because of things that they saw or experienced. You know, Esau comes out red and hairy, so they name him red and hairy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Jacob comes out holding his heel, so they name him heel grabber, you know, Jacob. So, 
you know, clearly something happened during the time that these kids were born that caused their parents to name them that, you know. Right. So right. we have the Pangea event split up happening about 100 years after the flood and about, let's see, 1, 2, 50, about 300 years after the flood, about 100 years later or uh, 200 years later is the Tower of Babel. Uh, which makes sense, too, because if the Tower of Babel was at the same time as the Peleg event, uh, Joshua said there were 600,000 men working on the Tower of Babel project. I can't see how you could get 600,000 men from three families right, in, yeah. a, in 100 years. And right. it's still, it would still be uh, pressing it to in 300 years. <laughs> The the only that's thing that's a lot of breeding. That's a lot of breeding. <laughs> people are really getting jiggy with it here because, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you know, but you know, people are you know, Shem lived six hundred years. Or Fax had four hundred and thirty years. So, mm -hmm. when you consider the lifespan that these people had and the, the propensity to have more than one wife, you know, uh, you know, it's conceivable. The and conceivable, pardon the pun, but uh, that the, the, we could have this this much offspring and also got into an interesting debate with somebody uh, uh, on Facebook because they didn't they rejected Joshua because it said that uh, Rebecca uh, Isaac's wife was uh, 10 years old and they're like you know I, I, I don't I don't accept that uh, you know Isaac was a pedophile and I said well you know I could appreciate the sentiment I understand that but we can't judge biblical times by modern mm -hmm. standards you know right uh and I started looking up, you know, what, what how young, what's the youngest a, 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 a female human can uh, get pregnant? And so I was actually surprised that people, that women, the time of getting your first period can be anywhere from as young as 10 years old to, you know, in the early teens. And so it, it was not uncommon for people to get married at 10, 11, 12, 13 years old way 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 back then even 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 in the americas um i want to say it was either my grandmother or somebody it was either my grandmother or great-grandmother i think got married at 14 um yeah they left the the holy temple when they were the age of 14 and they started you know the the virgins uh -huh. like even the story of mary yeah she uh, was that, young that's when yeah that's when joseph was appointed her guardian all right go to break The reviews for Extendivite are amazing. Here are some from Amazon. September 2018. Extendivite works in keeping my blood pressure in the normal range. I've been using Extendivite for many years now. May 2018. Great product. I use regularly and I rarely get sick. March 2018. This product has relieved what appeared to be angina pain in my chest and shortness of breath after climbing stairs. I'm quite happy about it. February 2018. My husband, son, and I have been using this product for a few months now, and we have noticed an improvement in our joints and blood pressure. Tell us your story. Get Extendivite today. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's one 877 
928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extend Hey folks, guess what the number one phrase that Life Change Tea receives by email? You ready? We love this tea. We love this tea. Time after time, week after week, we love this tea. Life Change Tea gives you more energy, a beautiful cleansing, and fulfills its slogan perfectly, the tea that makes you go. So if you want to be on your health game, log on to getthetea.com and order Life Change Super Strength Tea. Packages come in a one-month supply, and when you brew this stuff, wait until you see the results. Aren't we all about the results? And with a lot of people's health struggling, we can use a little bit of help. Doctors will tell you, disease starts in the gut. So log on to getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. Be our next email saying, I love this tea. I mean, I love this tea. Get the tea at getthetea.com. Helping America one tea bag at a time. Hi, I'm Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. In early 2012, I was facing a laundry list of chronic health conditions that my physician was telling me were incurable. I knew there had to be a better way, and I learned how I could reverse every one of my ailments with science-based, clinically verified medical nutrition. In just a few months, I was able to reverse high blood pressure, gastric reflux, sleep apnea, arthritis, degenerative disc disease, heart arrhythmia, AFib, and many more. And I've lost over 70 pounds and kept it off. Now I'm hosting a radio program that's dedicated to helping my listeners do the same. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, if you're sick of being used as an ATM by your doctor, then you'll want to tune in to the Your DIY Health radio program here on Truth Frequency Radio every Thursday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern and 6 to 8 a.m. Pacific. You are now tuned into the Truth Frequency. Your protection from deception. TLR. Truth Frequency Radio. back on the Revolutionary Radio Project. I'm your host, Rob Skiba, and we're continuing our discussion of the book of Genesis and supporting Hebrew texts that go along with it. I'm not sure where I was going with that. I had a, there was something we were talking about. I was talking about ages and stuff, and, and Josh, or, oh, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, this person was saying that they couldn't accept Joshua because they couldn't accept that uh, Rebecca could have been 10 years old. And I'm like, well, you know, I while I can appreciate that especially in this day and age where we're you know having all this right. stuff about pedophilia and everything like that mm-hmm. but i mean that being said it's a mistake to judge ancient literature by 21st century western american standards you know mm-hmm. uh and you know and it got pretty heated you know i'm like look i'm not trying to say I endorse pedophilia and i, and I wouldn't want to have right. anything to do with a 10 year old myself but no, not I'm, at all. I'm just saying 
that when you go back and look in, in the ancient world and even not the not so ancient world uh and, and in fact i was you know as a missionary having traveled the world been to over a dozen countries there are still places even to this day that will take a bride at you know 12 13 years of age you know uh because they consider the the girl to be a woman if she's capable of conceiving you know, and so if she's starting to have a period at whatever age that is then you know, in many, many cultures, that's considered wife time, you know, uh, mm-hmm. let's start having babies. So, you know, when I think of the time period, even if it's 300 years ish and people are living 600 years of age, Shem, you know, our facts said 438, Selah 433. I mean, so, you know, most of these people up to the time of Abraham, Abraham living to, you know, about 200, uh, uh, you know, and having multiple wives and wives as young as, you know, preteen even, then you could say, well, yeah, I mean, I can see how there could be a whole lot of babies being produced, you know, throughout that time. And, boy, people were just going off. I mean, I'm like, yeah, you want your head to really explode? Go look up how young Mary was. <laughs> you know I mean, because, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, I've read plenty of stuff that w- would place her in the 12 to 13, 14, 15 range, which by our standards – would be you know totally off the charts not cool yeah too young right uh but i mean again we can't judge ancient literature and ancient cultures by western 21st century american standards and you know i remember when i was growing up you know of course when you're growing up you always want to do what you can't do what you're not supposed to do right you're not supposed to drink well you know what do you want to do you want to drink right so uh although i didn't really touch any alcohol until i was in my mid-20s i think um, and even then, I didn't really care for it. But, uh, you know, I always found it interesting that, okay, I could drive a car at 16. I could I could actually get an airplane license at 16. I could get a car license at 16. I could join the military and lay down my life for my country at 18, but I can't drink a beer until I'm 21. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was, that was always like, what? You know. Uh, so, I mean, to dismiss the book... You know, circling back around to dismiss the book because you can't accept that you know Rebecca was ten years old. I mean, you're you're totally applying Western twenty first century American thinking onto ancient culture and ancient texts, and that's just not the way scholarship is done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I fully agree. And then, um, yeah, just for that, but uh, you don't even know, um, you know, as far as the interpretation and. And so what was the context of the passage? He says, does it say that, um, you know, it it says that Isaac married Rebecca when she was 10? Uh, well, what was interesting, uh, Zach Bauer had posted a, uh, well, we, we talked about it briefly, I think, in last week's show, uh, a passage, I believe it was from Second Esdras, talking about what happens to you after you die. Mm-hmm. And right. I don't know if it, there was a reference in there somewhere. There was a reference, I guess, to Joshua, and that's what spun up the conversation. It was on his Facebook page that that this was happening. And uh, I'm like, look, I mean, I, I can't see how you can judge it based on that. I mean, that's that's not how scholarship works. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I, I want to see the you know the the full context what, before yeah the full context yeah i don't know where they got that from cuz i mean again zach posted something from second esdras so where he was pulling joshua out of that i, I don't i don't recall 
I don't recall mm-hmm. a reference to Joshua and Ezra, so I don't I don't know where that it seemed like it came out of the blue, you know. Yeah. Um, but I do seem to remember reading that in Joshua a long time ago when I when I was reading through the book that that she was really young. Yeah. Well, maybe when we get to that part, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, three years from now when we get to that chapter. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, uh, something else that was interesting, though, speaking of Second Ezra's, is uh, as I'm putting together my presentation, and I'm, I'm trying to draw, like, okay, the, the end has been declared from the beginning. So if we want to understand the end times, we've got to go back to the beginning times, which is, you know, what we're doing here. And, yes. um, you know, looking at what happened, the events of the Torah, and even into the Old Testament, things that happened. And, you know, for me, like, the entire story narrative, the foundation for the entire biblical narrative, really is in the first 12 chapters of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just completely loaded with everything. And when we get to the issue of the, the Nephilim and hybrids and animal-human hybridization as well, you know, the, all of that was clearly taking place uh, back in these biblical times, you know, uh, and how they're happening in our t- days. And I came across a reference, I forget the address, but it's in the Second Ezra's, that talks about in an end times context that pregnant women will give birth to monsters. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that also in the Cave of uh, Treasures and the Book of the Bee. Oh, yeah, it mentions the same thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was happening. Uh, you, you, there's a... Let me see if I can pull it up for the viewers here. Um, yeah, I can... Hang on a second. That's 53. There's a... Um, Shalmaneser is a character in the Bible that that's mentioned. Um, let me switch this over. I got a, another timeline chart um, called the Nimrod Abraham timeline chart, and in that one, I'm I'm really showing you know I, I, Nimrod's born in 1908 a.m. and Abram's Abram is born in 1948 AM. So mm-hmm. he's he's born interesting he, number there. I know, <laughs> very interesting number. Uh so um you know, and they become these mega rivals throughout the the book of Joshua. I mean, it's like 200 pages or something like that of of the yeah. the life between these two people. Uh right. <clears throat> but you know, I was looking through the uh who begat who we see in this passage of Genesis that Ham is the father of Canaan and we turn the page to chapter 10 we see the Canaanites in Genesis 10 6 through 20 in the so-called table of nations and one of his offspring is Het and he's the father of the Hittites and Mm -hmm. so as I'm going down the timeline and I see that uh, uh, when Sarah dies Abraham is negotiating with a guy named Ephron of the Hittites and, right. yeah. you know, I'd already done, when I was doing research on Chimera and, and ancient animal-human hybridization and stuff like that, I mean, it's all over. It's everywhere. I mean, when you, when it, the further back you go, the more you see it, you know, it carvings and mm-hmm. hieroglyphs and things of that nature. And uh, I'd seen some ancient Hittite carvings that show uh, characters that have, like, human body with, like, it looks like a, a tiger head, you know, tiger head or cat head of some sort and a human body and in the middle so there's one on either side of two other characters in the middle you have two satyrs people with human upper torso right. and lower body of uh, like a goat goat right 
And so I'm like, I'm finding all, and there's a bunch. You just, all you need to do is do a Google search for animal human hybrid Hittite. <laughs> you can just have fun. And uh, so I'm looking at this particular uh, carving, and I'm realizing, okay, wait a minute. Abraham is negotiating with Ephron of the Hittites for a burial plot for Sarah. So in my timeline chart, I have Genesis 23, 10 through 20. We read that Abraham brought a piece of land. He bought a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver for a burial plot for Sarah. He negotiated with Ephron of the Hittites for it. The Hittites were Nephilim. They're you know, part of the tribes that are consistently slated for utter destruction. And mm-hmm. uh, their name means the terrors. And Ephron's name means fawn-like. So yeah, that's con- very interesting. Yeah, considering the chimeric nature of the Hittite carvings, could it be? I'm just asking the question. Could it be that Abraham was negotiating with a satyr? Right. Um, now you know this seems completely outlandish to us, but if it, if it was as common as it appears to be back then, animal-human hybridization, you know, right or wrong, people were aware of them. You know. And later right. on in Joshua, we see that this character, uh, I think his name was Zepho, he's out looking around for right. his donkey or something that got away from him, and he hears a weird sound mm-hmm. and goes into a cave, and it, and it says he described this, this being from the waist up like a human and the waist down like a goat, and he kills it and, you know, rescues his animal. Mm-hmm, and and right. it's, it's just written very matter-of-fact. Yeah, you know, killed a satyr, mm-hmm. killed a satyr, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, and I mentioned the uh, Shamanazer third. King Second uh, Kings seventeen three mentions that this King Shalmaneser the third. Well, if you do a Google search for black obelisk of Shalmaneser the third, it's got some very interesting engraving on it, and in one place in particular, it shows what appears to be a full grown elephant, judging by the length of its tusk. If that's a full grown elephant, then right behind this elephant is a lion man. It's a the body of a lion looks like mm-hmm. with the head of a man. And what's even more interesting is it's on a leash walking in front of a really tall dude. If that's a full-grown elephant in front of them, then the dude walking his pet lion man is, you know, probably 15, 18 feet tall, you know, uh, at least 12 feet tall probably. Mm-hmm. And so we have the lion men of Moab also mentioned in Second Samuel twenty-three twenty. So I'm like, right. look, guys, you know, <laughs> there's we got to rethink like the ancient world because you know we we think because of evolutionary teaching you know we we are taught to believe that we're at the pinnacle we you know and the further back you go the the more primitive they were no <laughs> that's not what we see in the ancient world the further right. back we go the more in, amazing it was yeah. and the more intense it was mhm yeah i fully agree i think uh we're actually kind of going backward from those times and playing catch up at best yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, with regard to the Lion Men of Moab, I was just um, writing about in this pre Adamite book about that same theme because there is um, a mention in uh, a book called As It Comes to Pass, which is a, a book on the tales and of King David and Solomon. And there's a really in-depth story in that particular book that talks about the lion men of Moab and it brings out all the details of them and uh, I can maybe after the next break or something I can share that with you and there's also very interesting in that Maccabees chapter 4 
um, the when they were the martyrdom of the high priest Eleazar and his seven sons, that it mentions in there that it is the lion men of Moab that are doing the torture for um, Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth, hmm. and in this story, the Moabite king he disbands the lion men of Moab as his you know, almost sort of like special forces. Mm. Uh, they were King's Guard. Wow. Let me actually see if I can find it. But it's a very, very interesting tale. And it's something that not a lot of people are familiar with or know about. And it's kind of, kind of short, but uh, if you want to hear it, I can, I can share it with you. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, do you need, to, right. do you need to look it up or, cause I can talk about okay. something else. If you need um, to. Yeah, go ahead and talk for a little bit, and I'll find it, and then... Okay. Uh, so I started to... Uh, uh, I was talking about my 350 post-flood years of Noah's life. If people are interested in these charts, by the way, they're available on my website, babylonrisingbooks.com. If you go to babylonrisingbooks.com, click on the store link, and then click on the digital produ products. You can uh, download the digital files that way. Uh, babylonrisingbooks.com. Um uh, so, yeah, you have the Peleg deal about 100 years after the flood. Giants are there, like, immediately. I mean, they're, they're already out and about doing their thing, you know, quite early on. Um, and, you know, there's always the question of how did the Nephilim return after the flood? And I'm like, look, the same person, Moses, the same guy who wrote Genesis 6, and the and also after that of Genesis 6, that same guy also wrote Genesis 9, 18 and 19, which mm -hmm. I just which I just read. And, you know, it clearly says that that Ham is the father of Canaan there. Let me mm -hmm. let me open this up a little bit better. <clears throat> um, and, you know, so he fathered the Canaanites. There are these are the three sons of Noah and of them was the whole earth overspread. The whole world was populated. And now Moses is writing this. Uh, a good 800 plus years after the flood, right? Because the the Exodus and all that that happened about 800 years after the flood. So, mm -hmm. at, it, from a vantage point of you know close to a thousand years after the flood, he's saying that the whole earth was populated by these people here. No mention of angels anywhere. Right. Right. So yeah. Anyway, that's what I just wanted to bring out. All right. Cool. Well. Um... I've got it here, and for those people that don't know what we're talking about, in Samuel chapter 23, verse 20, it says, And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. Mm. He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in, in the snow. Well, this story gives greater detail on that whole event, and it it says this. So the king's son and the pride of his army and the glory of his host, Ariel of Moab, the Moabite lionmen, saying, Who will go and bring the king milk that have been got from the dugs of an unblemished lioness in her lair? But not one was found brave enough or daring enough to do this thing, for could any man draw near to a lioness in her lair to squeeze her dugs and escape unharmed? Uh, just to give some context, this king had some kind of disease or illness, and he needed the milk from a lioness in order to be cured. Or that's what his um, healer had told him. But nobody, you know, was um, 
willing to do this. And so with that, I'll continue. Well, I think uh, and, before, uh, just to, because uh, the second Samuel twenty three twenty and the first Chronicles eleven twenty two yeah. is a parallel mm-hmm. of it. Right. It, it, it says he slew two lion-like men and he slew a lion. So, mm-hmm. like, he's, the author's giving you a, a, a clear differentiation. Yeah. Yes. Like, I mean. And, yeah, in this story, both of those events happen as well. So, mm-hmm. all right, continuing. And the king saw that his warriors held their peace, and he was exceedingly wroth and cried out in his anger, Ye tongue-tied hounds, where is your valor? Dare not a man of you venture his life for the king? Then two Moabite lion men came forward. Now these were the lions which were over the young lions in the king's army. And they fell down before the king with their faces to the ground, and they said, Bruise us with thy heel, O Lord, O king. Let all our lives be given for the thinnest hair on thy head. I let all our heads be ransomed for thy little fingernail. Do thou but speak the word, and we will ensnare every lion and lioness in the wilderness and bring them to thee. But this other thing which the king commandeth is beyond man's power. None could achieve it. Ask thy wise men. It may be that they can give thee counsel. And so the king inquired of his wise men and his magicians, but neither found he any answer from their mouth. For never before had they chanced upon the like, nor had their fathers declared it unto them. Then the king in his sore plight brought him of his neighbor Solomon, king of Israel, and of his wisdom. He sent him a letter in haste by the hands of his messengers, telling him of all the evil that was come upon him, and of what the physicians had said. And in his letter he besought him, saying, And now, having told thee concerning all this, O king, vouchsafe to act toward me in kindness and faithfulness, according to thy kindliness which my fathers bestowed on thy fathers, when they came to sojourn in the field of Moab in the days of famine, when my fathers received them with compassion and good will, and succored them many days? Remember that we are brethren, since thou art seed of the third generation from Ruth the Moabite, Moabitess, who was of the family of my father's house, and who clave to thy people and thy tribe, as thou knowest. When, therefore, thou hast heard my request, may it be that thou wilt have compassion on me, and not withhold thy counsel and thy help according to the good hand of God upon thee, and according to his wisdom that is within thee. For I know that none is so wise as thou, and that not is too wonderful for thee. Thus did the king of Moab send to Solomon by the hand of his messengers. Moreover, he sent with them choice products of his country as a present to the king of Judea. After the messengers had left the presence, he arose in his wrath to his counselors and to his captains of his army, and he said, O ye most despicable slaves, this day have ye shamed your king and his throne, so that men will say, There is no counsel and no might in Moab. If therefore the king of Judea shall fulfill my request, I will cast your carcasses to the dogs. Get ye gone out of my sight, and let me not see your faces. And it came to pass that when the letter reached the hand of Solomon, the words of the king of Moab touched his heart, and he summoned the captain of his host, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. And he showed him the letter and said, Son of Jehoiada, wilt thou go to bring milk from the dugs of the lioness? And the son of Jehoiada answered, For thy glory, O king, and for the glory of the God of Israel, and what wilt thou take with thee? 
let ten kids be given to thy servant. A smile passed over the king's lips, for he understood his warrior's purpose, and he said, I know that thou art a mighty man and a wily warrior, and that not will turn thee back. Go, and God be with thee. And wheresoever thou goest, let thine eye be alert and thine ear attentive, and thou shalt be saved alive. Then Solomon blessed the captain of his host and sent him away. And Benaiah delayed not, but taking with him ten goats and his shepherd boy, he arose to go and seek out where a den of lions could be found. Now Benaiah was light and swift on his feet as any heart. His eye was like an eagle's eye, piercing gloom and darkness, and his ear was like a net in the deep sea. The lightest rustle in the farthest distance could not escape it. And Benaiah went on a long journey and came to the borders of Samir and Erman. They are the mountains where Forum of old have lurked wild beasts and lions. Now the time was the time of wintry cold, and there was snow in those mountains and in the places round about. And Benaiah sought until he found the tracks of a lion in the snow. He shut up his flock of goats within a crevice of a rock and forbade the boy to stir from thence until he called him. Then Benaiah followed the tracks of the lion, supposing that he would find the den nearby. As he went up the mountain, he saw, to his confusion, that the tracks of the lion had suddenly changed, and it was marvelous in his sight. While he yet wondered, lo, a mighty roar reached his ears. It was like the roar of a lion, yet it was not the roar of a lion, for it differed from it as by a hair's breadth, and it all seemed to him a great riddle. Suddenly he found out the riddle. Are not these the tracks of the Moabite linemen? Hmm. And was not that their roar? It can only be that they are come out to seek my life. That it is which the king made known to me when he said, Let thine eye be alert and thine ear attentive. And the spirit of counsel and might took possession of Benaiah, and he knew what he should do. And truly, as Benaiah had thought, so it was. When tidings reached the Moabite lionmen that Benaiah was gone forth to get the milk of a lioness, they were greatly afraid, for they remembered what the king in the hour of his wrath had sworn concerning them. And the two Moabite lionmen took counsel together. Now these were the lions which were over the young lions in the king's army to go out to oppose Benaiah and to lay snares in his path. These Moabite lionmen were an evil temper an impetuous company, more savage than ravening beasts, and they had long vexed the people of Judea. All of them were huge and fearsome men, heavily accorded in iron and brass. The hair of their heads and their beards were like lions' manes. Lion skins were about their loins, and iron shoes, shaped like lion paws, were on their feet, and in their throats was the roar of a lion. Yet for all this they put no confidence in their strength, for they well knew that there was none so prudent in device and swift in counsel as Benaiah. But this time they thought to match Benaiah in cunning. So they too set out to overtake Benaiah on the journey to join themselves with him as skilled huntsmen and companions who were to come to his help. But Benaiah had gone his way in secret and had sped like an eagle by hidden and devious paths wherein no foot had ever trod. So the two Myabat lion men gave up their plan and came to the mountains when the wild beasts, where the wild beasts lurked, well knowing that Benaiah must come thither, and there they lay in wait for him behind a cleft in a rock. Supposing that they could draw Benaiah to their hiding place, 
they uttered from time to time a roar of a lion to deceive him into following after the roaring so that he might fall into their hands but the eyes of benaiah were opened wide and he knew that he must w act wearily and so soon as he perceived whose were the footprints and the roar he covered himself quickly with a white sheet which he had made ready for himself from the beginning that he should not be visible in the snow he turned back and quickly returned in his tracks to the crevice of the rock where he left his flock and the boy then he sent the boy in front of him to follow in the track of the footprints in the snow until they came to an end and he taught the lad what he should do and what he should say so the lad went up to the slope of the mountain weeping as he went according to the instruction of Beniah. And Beniah stole along, wrapped in the white sheet, not far beneath him. When the lad turned to go behind the cleft of a rock, there sprang up. Oh, man. Wow. Okay, I'll finish it up when we get back. I was flying by. It's not that much longer. Okay. Frequency Radio is your number one source for news and information without the hate, hype, and fear. We're proud to feature cutting-edge programs like The Christopher Everard Show, The Covert Report with Susan Lindauer, Enemy Within Radio with Tom Barnes, Freaky Friday with the Woo Crew, The Gematria Effect with Zachary Hubbard, America's Evil Genius with Travis Cook, Phoenix Rising Radio with Phoenix. Quantum Connections with Lucky. And dozens more. Did you know? You can listen from any telephone by dialing 641-793-7117. Or call into your favorite show, toll free at 833-TFR-LIVE. Uncensored talking news you won't hear on the mainstream media. Truth Frequency Radio, your protection from deception. and running virtually i'm jack callahan fox news presumed democrat presidential nominee joe biden introducing his running mate kamala harris in their first joint appearance wednesday savoring the history of the moment all across the nation little girls woke up especially little black and brown girls who so often feel overlooked and undervalued in their communities but today today just maybe they're seeing themselves for the first time in a new way. Biden's newly minted running mate slamming President Trump for the coronavirus outbreak. Harris wasted little time turning the focus to the election, zeroing in on President Trump's handling of the pandemic. Six years ago, in fact, we had a different health crisis. It was called Ebola. And we all remember that pandemic. But you know what happened then? Barack Obama and Joe Biden did their job. Only two people in the United States died. Prompting criticism from President Trump, teasing Harris's upcoming debate with Vice President Mike Pence. Fox's Jackie Heinrich at his White House briefing on Wednesday, the president warned a Biden presidency would be costly to taxpayers. He's going to double and triple everybody's taxes. He's going to have to explain that one. And as you know, he's also going to uh, quadruple regulation. The president said he plans payroll tax cuts in his second term. The four Minneapolis police officers charged in the death of George Floyd should be tried at the same time. 
according to Minnesota's Attorney General Keith Ellison, asking a judge to combine the trials because the evidence against the four is similar and a single trial would spare family members the trauma of multiple trials. Officer Derek Chauvin is charged with murder, the three others charged with aiding and abetting in Floyd's death. Wall Street Wednesday, the Dow gained 289 points, NASDAQ 229, the S&P 500 added 46 points. America is listening to Fox News. You must unite what has been set We are TFR. Truth Frequency Radio. We're back on the Revolutionary Radio Project. I'm your host, Rob Skiba. For the second hour of the broadcast, as usual, time is flying by. Wow. Uh, right before the break, uh, what was the text that you were reading from, by the way? Uh, as it comes to pass, um, it's a, a, a book of um, old Solomon, and I believe it's from the Arabic, like a you know pseudepigraphal or whatever. Um, but it's those. It's a text of ancient stories about Solomon and King David. Hmm. Okay, uh, you were gonna finish. Yeah, let me finish this real quick, and then we can move on. Uh, when the lad turned to go behind the cleft of a rock, there sprang out upon him suddenly the two Moabite lion men who had been lying in wait. Who art thou, boy? And why comest thou hither? Still weeping and with teeth chattering, the lad answered, Alas, my lord, I am one of the lads which mine our master's flock, and I have lost a lamb, and am come to seek for it in the mountains, if perchance I may find it. But I fear greatly by reason of the lions, for there are many of them in this place. But one of them that lay in wait suddenly seized him, for his suspicion was awakened, and he shook him to and fro, and roared furiously, And who is thy master, thou son of a dog, and where is he now? Behind thee answered a voice from behind him, and th- through the neck of the lion man who held the lad was thrust a heavy spear, and it stopped his mouth. Before the other lion man could turn round to see whence came the evil, behold, a shining sword in his head was split like a pumpkin. The voice was the voice of Benaiah. This, his was the spear, and his was the sword. He had followed closely after the lad, ready to avenge himself on those who had sought his life and who had vexed his people. And there fell on that day two of the Moabite lion men wallowing in their blood in the snow, and Benaiah cast their two carcasses into a pit. As he turned to go away, he looked, and behold, a lion leaping along, coming down towards the pit, drawn by the smell of blood. Benaiah went down after it into the pit and slew it, and added its carcass to the carcasses of the two Moabite lion men. For he said, let it not be hindrance to me when I go to the lioness in her lair. All right, I, I won't read the the rest of the story, but I'll read the one passage about the um, from Maccabees four about the the tortures yeah. that were done. At first Maccabees four. Yeah, this is um, fourth Maccabees. Oh, fourth Maccabees. 
Yeah, about the martyrdom of um, the high priest Eleazar and mm. his seven sons and his wife. Yeah, okay. Okay, but it says this, and I'll tell you the passage when I get to the end. Before torturing him, they inquired if he were willing to eat, and they heard his this noble decision. These leopard-like beasts tore out his sinews with their iron hands, flayed all his flesh up to his chin, and tore away his scalp. But he steadfastly endured this agony and said, How sweet is any kind of death for the religion of our fathers. To the tyrant, he said, Do you not think, you most savage tyrant, that you are being tortured more than I, as you see the arrogant design of your tyranny being defeated by our endurance for the sake of religion? I lighten my pain by the joys that come from virtue, but you suffer torture by the threats that come from impiety. You will not escape, most abominable tyrant, the judgments of the divine wrath. And this is 4th Maccabees chapter 9, verses 27 to 32. Hmm. And so we see that, you know, it is because um, the rest of the story before the king of Moab, after receiving the the milk from the lioness that Benaiah has, was able to uh, get for him, he was healed and he disbanded the lion men of Moab. And so they then began, according to the Maccabees 4, uh, to work for Antiochus Epiphanes hmm. the fourth, and became king's guard for them. Uh, and they were the ones that performed the torture on the Israelites when they were trying to get them to eat food sacrificed unto idols. And the reason he started with the high priest is because he thought if he could get the high priest to do it, then the rest would follow suit. Mm, wow. Pretty crazy. But yeah. yeah, confirming witness to what we were talking about. Man, it's definitely crazy. So, I, like, so my understanding is the Moabites are the they are the result of the Lot's daughters uh, right. having mm -hmm. sex with him after you know Lot's wife was turned to a pillar of salt and 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 this is actually I was just writing about the, this in the PowerPoint presentation today uh, because my my thinking was you know why would Ham mess with his mother in the first place. You know what would be mm -hmm. what would be the reason for it? And look, I admit it's speculation right here. Uh, <clears throat> but my my thought process on it was, if in fact he had offspring that were manifested as Nephilim, and I suspect with six fingers and six toes, because why would I say that? Well, because the offspring of the Canaanites, many of them are described as having six fingers and six toes. So if that was a genetic trait of the Canaanites, then it makes sense that Canaan himself may have had those traits. And if he did then, you know, uh, Ham would have been like, okay, well, this stinks, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know. He's looking at his wife, he's looking at his child, and he's got a hybrid, you know, and he's like, crap. And and if he if he looked at his brother's wives, well, they were sisters. So, you know, he'd be thinking, well, that's not going to work either. And so then the only viable, normal woman left on earth at that time would have been his mother. And so, you know, I was just kind of think. I was trying to think through what his thought process might have been as to why he did it. You know, it, I don't just automatically assume, okay, pervert. You know, you know, he's just mm -hmm. he's just being a pervert. Rather, I'm thinking there was probably, at least in his mind, a logic. Cause. Yeah, a cause, a logic to it, like why he was doing it. And what I was using for the justification of that theory is the same logic that the daughters of Lot had when 
right. you know, they're they're watching their world around them being destroyed. I mean, mm-hmm. their whole life was Sodom and Gomorrah, and yeah. when fire is literally raining down from heaven, and they were aware that the earth is going to be destroyed twice, once by water and once by fire. So fire, right. they're yeah. not too far removed from the water judgment. You know, it's not that wasn't too long ago. Then they could have been thinking, okay, this is the fire judgment. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Adam told us about this, right? That there was going to be a, a fire right. judgment. And they're seeing fire raining down from heaven, destroying their former dwelling place. And, you know, I, I think it's reasonable speculation that they, to, to suggest that they probably thought, oh, this is the end of the world and dad's the only they man. Dad, yeah. yeah, we're the only Absolutely. Women, we're the only women. Yeah. Dad's the only man. You know, let's get dad drunk and get jiggy with it so we can, right. you know, repopulate the that earth. Is, yeah. And so that being the case, the Moabites were the, the offspring of that union. So th- my question then becomes, well, why are they why are they called lion men of Moab? Is Moab simply the region as in a geographic location or is this a genetic tie to the Moabite Moabite people uh-huh. which which I don't see you know Ruth you know or plenty of other people are normal right they're normal right. humans yeah. so I don't want to you know I don't think there's any justification for painting a broad stroke over the entire Moabite people as hybrids uh-huh. but it does beg the question what's the deal with these lion men <laughs> like where right. are they yeah and, and why yeah, are they fully. called the lion men of Moab specifically and not just, you know, lion men? Like, like mm-hmm. what is the, I mean, have you given any thought to that or read anything in the regard? Like, why are they associated with Moab? No, other than they were in service to the king of Moab. Um, and whether they, you know, were from that region or just because they were in service to the king. Uh, but yeah, I, I can understand your points of view as to whether there was some kind of weird anomaly associated with that particular tribe uh, that led to you know some kind of lion man. Just like you know, we long time ago we read the story of those uh, the dog-headed people. Yeah, and that was even recent. I mean, what yeah. just a few hundred years back, um, and so. And that you know, and this is found all over in different uh, traditions and mythologies, and even um, in the uh, the sainthood um, yeah. of some some yeah. particular. I forget the name of the the saint, but he was said to be I've been dogmated. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah so. Uh, I can't remember his name either, but I do remember actually seeing that one. I, I mean, that's that's for those of you listening to this right now. Just go look up the dogmen. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, there was a a a Catholic dogman who was actually made a saint mm-hmm. by the Catholic Church. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's so bizarre. And and like like you point out, that wasn't that long ago. You know, right. I Not mean, at all. We're talking about four hundred years ago or something. I mean, it wasn't right. it wasn't terribly long ago. So and they were able to communicate and talk. With yeah, talk other humans and other tribes, and so, but they had dog heads man that's just <laughs> bizarre yeah it really is bizarre I, you know I, I, in my lecture I was I did a whole section on the cone heads the cone head skulls of Peru right yeah and you know um, you know I don't know what what L.A. Marzulli's feelings are towards me anymore uh, you know we used to be 
cordial and friendly. We had a mm-hmm. we had a friendly rivalry as it pertains to the multiple incursion thesis. Uh, uh, and then when I started getting banned from conferences, he started taking regular pot shots at me from the stage really? when I wasn't oh able God. to defend myself. <laughs> you know, that's that's totally not uh, right. Well, just taking pot shots at the you know my theory about how the Nephilim because uh, okay. yeah. he's a second incursion guy, so yeah. he's really trying to push the second incursion thing in a, at the expense of you know what I've known for teaching. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he, he always made fun of it from the stage, but. At, at, in places where I was never there to defend myself, so we've we've, right. we've had sort of that, I would say, friendly, sometimes intense, but friendly rivalry in that regard. But there can be no question, you know, the, the dude has done some really great research on the the conehead skulls of per the 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 um, skulls of Peru and stuff, and and a lot of other stuff. I mean, his whole Trail of the Nephilim series that he's done. I mean, I, I respect him as boots on the ground. You know, so many people. You, we just read about these things and we comment on these things based on stuff that we're reading but you know he's out there beating right. the streets he's done a lot of traveling yeah. yeah doing the traveling going out there taking the pictures handling the stuff holding it getting DNA tests done you know he's done a lot of good work on that stuff and so I, I was including some uh, some videos for um, a couple of conferences that that he spoke at where he was giving some of the evidence and showing I mean the skulls i mean there are skulls that are clearly cranial headboarding that that parents at the, at the child's young age strap boards to the kid's head to change the shape of it and that otherwise the skull is completely normal it's just been misshapen by these boards and yet you have to ask well, why are they doing that why what possesses parents to hey let's strap boards to my kid's head you know that they're clearly right. trying to emulate something that is real, that was born that way. And in um, the, the Enigma of Cranial Deformation by uh, Childress and Forster, they talk about a case where they, they had found a, um, I don't know if they found it, but somebody had found a, uh, mu- the mummified remains of a pregnant woman. And when, mm-hmm. they, when they opened her up and, and they saw that it was a seven-month-old fetus that had a cone head. You know, so, you know, and the drawing of this thing, when you look at the drawing that the, that they made of it, I mean, it looks like something right out of the movie Aliens. Uh-huh. You know, so there were people that, and their whole suture pattern or their skull is, it's not just the shape of their skull, but also the suture patterns are different. Um, sometimes they have as much as 40% larger cranial capacity, you know, and they, they would do like... Um, it's like a sand test where you take like uh, like beach sand and you fill up a skull and then you you pour it back out to see the volume, like how much how much sand was in it, and compared to a comparable size normal human skull, some of these skulls are you know anywhere from twenty to forty percent larger interior cranial capacity, you know. Uh, so yeah, that's know, big difference. That's pretty massive. I mean, that's huge. Mm-hmm. And. You know, so you you know he thinks, of course, that it's evidence of multiple incursions. Angels keep coming back. I'm like, mm, no, I, I I don't see that. I see it's evidence of genetic tampering, genetic manipulation, uh-huh. and you know the, these features may be the result of you know some kind of blending with animals. I mean, look at a gorilla's head, you know, and you know my thinking is if you know man was created perfect in the image and likeness of God, just as Genesis says then the anomalous stuff that we see, not all of the skeletal proofs that evolution props up as evidence, is fraudulent. I mean, there certainly has been 
quite a bit of fraudulent skeletal you know things that have been put forward as proof of mm-hmm. evolution and missing link that, that have been proven to be fraudulent right but right. yet there are other uh skeletal things that that haven't been proven to be fraudulent uh and they hold them up as proof of evolution but i'm saying no that this is proof of hybridization mm-hmm. you know uh that i mean various different skull shapes and stuff like that can be the result of hybridization, you know, blending with animals that we see clearly described in Joshua and Jubilees, and I believe that's what Genesis right. is referring to in Genesis 6.12. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if we do have these, I mean, you could go to Peru from what L.A. says. I mean, you could just go there and walk around and you know, kick some dirt up and find a skull. You know, I mean, like, mm-hmm. th- that's how prevalent that he makes it sound like. They're, like, everywhere. You know, so right. what are these people and... You know, I mean, some of them, not just the shape of their their skull, but the shape of their eye sockets are, you know, in some cases, like, really large or, you know, different from what a normal human skull eye socket would look like. And so, you, you know, you start to think, well, I wonder if anybody has found anything that could be a lion man of Moab, <laughs> you know. Right, right. Uh, and what would that look like? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I think that the problem with some of that w- would be, you know, with the dogmen or even the linemen or something something like that, is if you found the skeletal remains of what looked like a lion head next to what looked like a human body, the temptation would be, to, well, it looks like a lion killed this person. Uh-huh, right. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't... Yeah, the mix-up. Yeah, you Especially wouldn't necessarily connect them, you know. Used to seeing, yeah. Yeah. What you found. Unless it was, like, completely attached, you know, like... right. They found here, uh, I think it was in Pennsylvania, the the skulls that had the horns with them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, so have you, I didn't, I didn't look a lot into that. I mean, I'm aware of it. I've seen pictures of it. Um, have you seen anything that would vet that this is authentic? Or, I mean, there's so many frauds out there and photoshops and stuff like that. From what I have seen, it looks like it's authentic, but have you, have you uh, looked into that at all? It seems to be. I mean, um, I don't know with 100%, but uh, the photo, the individual did take a photo before the skulls, of course, disappeared. Um, but there were two instances where sets of skulls were found with horns, um, just like what appeared in that particular photograph. And so... Yeah, that photograph is said to be authentic. And then there was also another discovery, and I can't remember exactly where, um, but the guy, Jim Vieira, the Vieira brothers that wrote, you know, all the books on the Giants, and uh, they talk about that because they pull up mm-hmm. all those articles from, you know, hundreds of years ago, which verify these different accountings. And um, they share those stories, which were said to be, you know, um, published in these old town papers and back in the 1800s or whenever it was and um, after the discovery was made. And then, of course, everything disappears in the Smithsonian. But Right. Well, you know, that's the thing. I'm becoming, especially with this whole mud fossil deal, uh, uh-huh. really coming to believe that something happened uh, probably somewhere towards the end of the 1700s, early 19, uh, early 1800s, uh, something happened uh, worldwide, and mm-hmm. I, I'm really skeptical of the the nar- the historical narrative that we've been fed. Right, and that right. you know you don't have to go that far back in time for things to start getting really weird from the normal narrative. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, know, especially. 
Uh, well, I was just going to say, especially when you look at the the maps, which yeah, that's what know, I was going to say. Yeah, because you have the Great Lakes appearing between what is the 1600 and the 1800s, um, and they weren't before on on those maps. And then also the California the was whole, an island. Yeah, California is an island off of the disconnected and separated from the the continental United States, and so those kind of things changes you know huge changes and it makes you wonder with those great lakes um if perhaps you know the whole thing with the the grand canyon and if a right. lot of that also took place in, in that time yeah right well i mean the the standard creationist line uh regarding the grand canyon is like look that could have happened very fast and when right, when mount exactly, st yeah. helens you know blew you know, we we have tangible, observable evidence right in front of our face that we can go mm-hmm. look and see. You know, miniature Grand Canyon uh, that was carved out very quickly from that one volcanic explosion. You know, uh, mm-hmm. and so the whole idea that the Colorado River, you know, over millions of years carved that is just completely ridiculous. Uh, so I mean, we could see how things can happen extremely fast to. Mm-hmm. To disrupt things geologically speaking, uh, right. but well, I mean, when we think biologically, and uh, like the book uh, Mysteries of the Solomon Island, Solomon Island Mysteries. Oh yeah, uh, that's really trippy, man. Because <laughs> you know, I mean, it's making for great, you know, information for me to base, you know, seed on, and and do uh-huh. stuff with the seed project. But realizing that that was documented, you know, uh, I think it was in the nineties. Um. Yeah, not long ago at not, all. Yeah, very recently. Uh, like, wow, I mean, there's just so, so much that is different from the mainstream narrative, even to the point of looking right. into the death of Meriwether Lewis, of Lewis and Clark right. fame, yeah. and, you know, the the formation and creation of the Smithsonian. How it was, actually, the guy who founded it doesn't even live in the United States, or didn't, you know, uh, he, was mm-hmm. from, he was from Europe. Uh, you know, it seems to me that that organization was specifically designed to be an organization to hide the truth. Oh, absolutely. And re- yeah, you know, they show they show a lot of they do show a lot of truth, but then they also hide a lot of it. Mm-hmm. You know, right. the, the stuff that conflicts with the evolutionary uh, paradigm. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, it reminds me of just like you know, everybody gives precedence to the United Nations for. Uh, handling international affairs, and they deserve no such <laughs> right. uh, reputation, you know. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, I don't, I don't know what the life to come is going to be like, but I, 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 I hope that there's some kind of a movie theater that we can go to and and check out <laughs> heaven's view of history to to get the real story. Mm-hmm, right. You know, I mean, if we experience time in the life to come the same way we experience time now. I could easily spend six thousand years of time just looking at world history. Yeah, catching up, absolutely. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, why like, wouldn't you want to know? You know. Yeah, like to see what it was really like out there, because mm-hmm. you know, the more we dig into various texts, you know, whether it be cosmology or you know, human hybrid, animal hybridization, or mud fo- fossil, mud floods, and whatever. I mean, man, the, the Rockefeller sort of education. Stranger. Yeah, the, the Rockefeller education history that we have is just it's a joke right it is yeah and it's it's really to keep people dumbed down and bored 
out of their minds so that they don't care about learning. Yeah. Well, that doesn't Unfortunately. F- that doesn't fit us. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I mean, you know, I I just, you know, I I really when I think about some of the things that they're trying to do with the you know, the the vaccinations with the implants and the nanotechnology, of course, I you know, all the red flags go up, right? I mean, we're talking mark of the beast level type of stuff, you know. And, but yet at the same time I'm going, man, but I sure wish the the matrix plug a cable in the back of your head thing could, could really work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you know, I have like this huge, like just even the books that you've sent me, just your books alone. Oh, I, right. I'm like, yeah, oh my God, no. am, I, am I ever going to get to the, a, a chance to read all these books? Mm-hmm. And that's just one shelf, you know, all, right. all the books that you've sent me. And I've got, I don't even know how many other shelves of books that I have, you know, many of which I've read, but a whole lot more that I haven't that I just kind of use as go-to quick reference to flip yes. through it and find a quote for something I need. But, you know, I do wish that I could just kind of put the book up to my head and get a download, you know? Yeah, and know all the information quickly. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, that would be cool. Well, uh, wow, we got two minutes already before the next break. So <clears throat> when we come back from the break, I will definitely jump into uh, at least read Jubilee's Chapter 7. But uh, was there anything that you wanted to comment on from Genesis 9, anything that stood out to you that we haven't talked about already? Um, well... I if at some point whenever we get to it, I I pulled up from the Legends of the Jews, um, that commentary that talks about this story. Oh, um, and I can read from it, but we might not get to it. Maybe we'll have some time in the next segment, but it's not that that long. But it does talk about some of the stuff we were covering. So, so does it address the issue of Canaan and what was happening there, or? Uh, it does um, mention some about that, yeah, and then it goes in, you know, to the whole story of the nakedness of the father before getting to the descendants stuff, and it brings it from a, a strangely different um, perspective because just in one portion it talks about how, like this weird sentence. He added to this sin of irreverence the still greater outrage of attempting to perform an operation on his father designed to prevent procreation. So, Whoa. yeah, a little bit different story. <laughs> Whoa. Well, but see, like I said earlier, I mean, reading it's one thing, but hearing it, I was like, it doesn't sound like he's messing with his mom. It, mm-hmm. it, it does sound like he's messing with his dad. And if, it, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll start off with that. We got about... 20 seconds before we go to break so I can't leave that dangling out there as we'll have to pardon the pun uh, <laughs> so yeah we'll have you read that when we come back from the break and, okay, and, good. and see what the what the deal is with that It's amazing how people have been raving about Aya Life all over Facebook. They've been posting their testimonials just because they want to get the word out because it's worked so well for them. If you're not familiar with Aya Life, it's a 99% pure CBD oil, but the secret is the synergy between the hemp and the ayahuasca vine, the non-psychoactive component of the ayahuasca tea. 
We recently received an email from a wife whose husband has Parkinson's. For the first time, he's been able to sleep through the entire night. Another customer reported that they're no longer using NSAIDs because their tennis elbow has been relieved with Iolife. The reports have been phenomenal and much more than we ever expected. Everyone should have access to this. That's why if you head on over to Iolife.com right now and use coupon code TFR, we'll give you $5 towards your order. And we'll even ship it worldwide. That's Iolife.com. A-Y-A Life.com. Poor water quality is a major health issue, and it's only getting worse. Municipalities can't keep up, standards have dropped, and pollutants are increasing. Where does it all end? It ends by keeping the pollutants outside of your home with HydroCare's advanced systems available at Wave Home Solutions. No less than the best purification materials and processes have been developed by HydroCare to provide you with healthy, clean water for drinking, cooking, and showering. HydroCare far surpasses the competition in removing chlorine, odors, iron, lead, chemicals, limescale, and much more. Don't settle for less when it comes to your water. We'll take care of the toughest water problems for you, whether it's from a city or well source. Satisfaction guaranteed. For more information, call 888-997-WAVE. That's 888-997-WAVE. Or go to bestwater123.com. That's bestwater123.com. Greetings, Earth Explorers. My name is Brooks Agnew, and I am your host on X Squared Radio every Sunday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Truth Frequency Radio Network. This is where the past meets the future. We explore the mysteries of the universe and of the Earth. We might go a little past your imagination, but have no fear. You will be safely traveling with us. We will dissolve the propaganda of dangerous people with dangerous plans for the planet. We will discuss the latest technologies and challenges for humankind. We will discover the safest place for you to stand when the thinkings and doings of mankind come flying apart and how you can be one of the people that helps put it back together. Join us. Real people, real radio. Initiating the truth frequency. This is Truth Frequency Radio. We're back on the Revolutionary Radio Project. I'm your host, Rob Skiba, for the final half-hour segment of the broadcast. Man, this show is just flying by. You you left us uh, in suspense. Uh, something from the Legends of the Jews you're going to bring to the table here from this reading. Yeah, uh, I'll just read this. It's, it's specific to the, uh, the drunkenness in that whole episode. Okay. In his drunken condition, Noah betook himself to the tent of his wife, his son Ham saw him there, and he told his brothers what 
he had noticed and said the first man had but two sons and one slew the other this man noah has three sons yet he desires to beget a fourth hmm. Ooh, uh, um, besides nor did ham rest satisfied with these disrespectful words against his outrage of attempting to perform an uh, of his father against his father he added to this sin of irreverence the still greater outrage of attempting to perform an operation upon his father designed to prevent procreation. When Noah awoke from his wine and became sober, he pronounced a curse upon Ham in the presence of his youngest son, Canaan, which, you know, that goes to what you were saying, mm -hmm. that Canaan was, um, was present. Yeah. To Ham himself, he could do no harm, for God had confirmed a blessing upon Noah and his three sons as they departed from the ark. Therefore he put the curse upon the last-born son of the son that had prevented him from begetting a younger son than the three he had. Hmm. The descendants of Ham through Canaan therefore have red eyes, because Ham looked upon the nakedness of his father. They have misshapen lips, because Ham spoke with his lips to his brothers about the unseemly condition of his father. They have twisted curly hair because Ham turned and twisted his head round to see the nakedness of his father. And they go about naked because Ham did not cover the nakedness of his father. Thus he was required, for it is the way of God to meet out punishment measure for measure. Canaan had to suffer vicariously for his father's sin, yet some of the punishment was inflicted upon him on his own account, for it had been Canaan who had drawn the attention of Ham to Noah's revolting condition. Ham, it appears, was but the worthy father of such a son. The last will and testament of Canaan addressed to his children read as follows. Speak not the truth. Hold not yourselves aloof from theft. Lead a dissolute life. Hate your master with an exceeding great hate and love one another. As Ham was made to suffer requital for his irreverence, so Shem and Japheth received a word for the filial differential way in which they took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and walking backward with averted faces covered the nakedness of their father. Naked, the descendants of Ham, the Egyptians and Ethiopians were led away captive and into exile by the king of Assyria, while the descendants of Shem, the Assyrians, even when the angel of the Lord burnt them in the camp, were not exposed. Their garments remained upon their corpses unsinged, and in the time to come when God shall suffer his defeat, God will provide both shrouds and a place of burial for him and all his multitude, the posterity of Japheth. Though Shem and Japheth both showed themselves to be dutiful and differential, yet it was Shem who deserved the larger need of praise. He was the first to set about covering his father. Japheth joined him after the good deed had been begun. Therefore the descendants of Shem received as their special reward the talit, the garment worn by them, while the Japhethites have only the toga. A further distinction accorded to Shem was the mention of his name in connection with God's and the blessing of Noah. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. He said, though as a rule of the name of God is not joined to the name of the living person, only to the name of one who has departed this life. The relation of Shem to Japheth was expressed in the blessing their father pronounced upon them. 
God will grant the land of beauty to Japheth, and his sons will be proselytes dwelling in the academies of Shem. At the same time, Noah conveyed by his words that the Shechaniah would dwell only in the first temple erected by Solomon, a son of Shem, and not in the second temple, the builder of which would be Cyrus, the descendant of Japheth. Wow. And that's where it starts. <clears throat> well, that puts a whole other spin on it. <laughs> yeah, a lot different. <laughs> wow. So the motivation was he was afraid that that there would be a fourth son that would somehow usurp him or somehow cause a problem for the three existing children of Noah? I'm not exactly sure, but he the motive was to prevent his father from having Another a fourth son, which he somehow did. And um Man, so, so yeah, that's why the descendant and as you were saying because uh, I had always thought, you know, that Canaan was the result of the nakedness of Ham seeing the nakedness of his father. But right. in this story, um, uh, Canaan is already present yeah. while this is happening. And it even says that it was Canaan who points it out to Ham that Noah was drunken in his tent. Yeah. And so that's when Ham took advantage According to this story, anyway. Yeah, I'd heard, uh, I don't know if I had heard that specific story, but I had heard something, or read something somewhere else that it was Canaan that kind of pointed it out to his dad that something was going on. But I had always, my, my whole thing is like, he had to be there for Noah to curse him, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, it's my belief that, you know, if if we are looking at sort of a repeat uh, of what happened, or not a repeat, but a setup similar to what happened with Lot and his daughters. If it was, you know, that same type of thing that that Ham was engaged in, um, that then the offspring of that was put. And the reason I said that was because th there's, you know, Canaan's loaded with giants. I mean, we know that. That, that, right, that goes yeah. without saying. There's giants all over Canaan. Uh, Mitzrayim has giants too. Uh, and the most, the two most prominently mentioned um, uh, giant groups that we see in Scripture are the Amorites and the Philistines. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I forget what the number is, some like eighty times or two hundred times that these are. I forget what it was. That I looked that up a long time ago, but qu quite a number uh, of that specific uh, breed or family of giants are the Amorites and the Philistines. And the Amorites come from Canaan. And the um, Philistines come from Kaftor, son of Mitzrayim. And we also have plenty of Egyptian hieroglyphic, you know, representations of giants among the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm like, okay, well, there's two children of Ham that have plenty of giants. And Cush doesn't have any natural-born giants that I could find anywhere. We see that Nimrod did something to himself to right. become a giant. But we see that, it, that Cush at least had... Uh, the the personality bent towards rebellion or evil because he names his kid We Shall Rebel. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I mean, you, you have a child and you name your child We Shall Rebel. Okay, something's going on there. The only one that I couldn't find any problem with, you know, I didn't find any giants and I didn't see any evidence of rebellion was Put. And Put becomes the ancestor of the Libyans, uh, Libya. So, and his name means uh, afflicted, I believe. Uh, so it was my assumption then, if if Ham did in fact, the, uh, if the uncovering of his father's nakedness had something to do with his his mother, Noah's wife, then she was normal, you know. Uh, 
so there would be normal offspring, not giant offspring. Because if Canaan was the offspring of the union with his mother, how did they end up with giants? You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know Noah's wife would have been pure in my mind, uh, unless we we're dealing with a situation with you know a different wife. But even in the theory that you were talking about, that there's two Natmas, um, I don't believe that it was it would have been Cain. Even if that was true, I don't believe it would have been Cain's Natma that ended up on the ark. It would have been. Uh, Enoch's Natma that made it on the ark in my opinion uh, <clears throat> if we go that route so you know mm-hmm. my whole thinking was uh, of the offspring of Ham the only one that seemed 100% normal with no issues was was put and his name means affliction which a lot, a lot of times if you you know you're dealing with a situation of incest you know you might have some kind of you know physical problems so, yeah um, with regard to you know as far as the wife on the ark um Shem and Japheth being the elder, if if Ham is from a different mother and their you know Shem and Japheth's mother had passed away, then then it would have been his mother that would have been on the ark. And of course, you know, um, this is all speculation, and I'm only going by what is uh, recorded in both the Book of Jasher and the writings of Abraham, where the you know the Nama the the seed of Cain, the sister of Tubal Cain, is said to, but um, to have been his mother. But with regard is to whether she made it on the ark or not, and if that was who he slept with, um, with the nakedness of the father. I mean, it's all really speculation. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, like I, if you look at the timeline again, you put it out on a timeline chart. If 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 that's the Natma of Cain's line, she's she well outlived Methuselah by several hundred years. You know, Methuselah lived 969, and he's reckoned to be the oldest that ever lived. Right. She's well into the teens. Like I mean, it was something like 12 or 1300 years old by by the time of the flood. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's all really interesting stuff, and you know, all we can do is just keep looking at ancient texts and right. see what we can piece together. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, yeah, it's like trying to solve a crime. It is, you know, it's funny because we've recently been well. We were watching uh, the the reboot of Hawaii Five O. You know that they uh-huh. had the old show Hawaii Five O, and then they redid it, and yeah. we, we just finished. It was like ten seasons worth of it. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> I, that was a long running show. I think, and the only reason I think it ended is because of this uh, COVID thing. But although it did look like they ended the series like they intended to end it, like it wasn't just uh-huh. cut off because of COVID. But but at any rate, to say that, and you know, now we're watching a Magnum PI, the reboot of that, and both of those are you know crime-solving shows, you know. Mm-hmm. So we we're always trying to figure out who done it, you know. Uh, yes. You know, because you know any kind of good storytelling, they'll introduce the characters, and you just got to figure out who did it, you know. Right. And right. and you know more often than not, it's the the subtle character that you don't think is playing a part in it ends up being the one that was yeah. really the one who really did it. So, mm-hmm. you know, but throughout the episode, you're trying to find evidence and piece together the puzzle to figure out, well, you know, what's the big picture here. Right. And, you know, that's that's the way I very much see that we're doing. We're, we're like the, doing a, a CSI kind of thing <laughs> on ancient text <laughs> yeah. to uh, solve this. But, okay, I got 14 minutes here before we go to break. I might be able to get through this. Uh, yeah, I think so. Give it a shot. Uh, Jubilees Chapter 7. And in the seventh week, in the first year thereof, in this jubilee, Noah planted vines on the mountain on which the ark had rested, named Lubar, one of the Ararat mountains, and they produced fruit in the fourth year. 
and he guarded their fruit and gathered it in this year in the seventh month. So this is some time after the after the flood, you know, uh, you know by this this is four years after the flood that he's planting this vineyard here. And he made wine therefrom and put it into a vessel and kept it until the fifth year, until the first day on the new moon of the first month. So now we're five years at least after the flood. And he celebrated with joy the day of this feast, and he made a burnt sacrifice unto the Lord, one young ox and one ram and seven sheep, each a year old, and a kid of the goats, that he might make atonement thereby for himself and his sons. I'm wondering if this is a Day of Atonement kind of time frame uh-huh. here. Uh, and he prepared the kid first and placed some of its blood on the flesh that was on the altar which he had made, and all the fat he laid on the altar where he made the burnt sacrifice, and the ox and the ram and the sheep, and he laid all their flesh upon the altar. And he placed all their offerings mingled with oil upon it, and afterwards he sprinkled wine on the fire and which he had previously made on the altar, and he placed incense on the altar and caused a sweat, sweet savor to ascend acceptable before the Lord his God. And he rejoiced and drank of his wine, of this wine, he and his children with joy. So they were drinking too. It, and it was evening, and he went into his tent, and being drunk, he lay down and slept, and was uncovered in his tent as he slept. And Ham saw Noah his father naked, and went forth and told his two brethren without. And Shem took his garment and arose, he and Japheth, and they placed the garment on their shoulders and went backward and covered the shame of their father, and their faces were backward. And Noah awoke from his sleep and knew all that his younger son had done unto him. And he cursed his son and said, Cursed be Canaan, and enslaved servant shall he be unto his brethren. And he blessed Shem and said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And, and God enlarged Japheth, and God shall God shall enlarge Japheth, and God shall dwell in the midst of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Ham knew that his father had cursed his younger son, and he was displeased that he had cursed his son, and he parted from his father, he and his sons with him, Cush and Mitzram and Put and Canaan. And so this show is put there too. So, yeah, I mean, it really doesn't sound like he's doing anything with his mother here. And he built for himself right. a city and called its name after the name of his wife. Oh boy, Nilata <laughs> Mauka. <laughs> Mauka, whatever. Good luck with that one, <laughs> right? Yeah. Makalaka shakalaka. <laughs> oh boy. And Japheth saw it and became envious of his brother, and he too built for himself a city. And he called its name after the name of his wife, uh, Adatanesis, or something like that. And Shem dwelt with his father, Noah, and he built a city close to his father on the mountain. And he too called its name after the name of his wife, oh boy, Sedequetelelabab, something. <laughs> Glad you got this one. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Man, and behold, uh, these three cities are near Mount Lubar, the Seba Laka Waka Waka front, fronting the mountain on its east and the Nella Waka Waka on the south and the Atawaka Waka Waka toward the west. And these are the sons of Shem, Elam and Asher, and Arphaxad, his son, was born two years after the flood in Lud and Aram. 
the sons of Japheth, Gomer and Magog and Madai and Javan, Tubal and Meshach and Tiras, these are the sons of huh? These are the sons of Noah. That's interesting. The sons of Japheth, Gomer and Magog and Maday and Javan, Tubal and Meshach and Tiras, these are the sons of Noah. I think it's just meaning to summarize what the sons of Noah did there. Doesn't sound like he's having more children. And in the twenty-eighth right. jubilee, Noah began to enjoin upon his sons. Uh, looks like a typo here. The ordinances and commandments and all the judgments that he knew, and he exhorted his sons to observe righteousness, and to cover the shame of their flesh, and to bless their Creator, and honor father and mother. I'm assuming. Uh, and love their neighbor and guard their souls from fornication and uncleanness and all iniquity. For owing to these three things came the flood upon the earth, namely, owing to the fornication wherein the watchers, against the law of their ordinances, went a whoring after the daughters of men and took themselves wives of all which they chose, and they made the beginning of uncleanness. And they begat sons, the Nephidim, and they were all unalike, and they devoured one another. And the giant slew the Nephil, and the Nephil slew the Eljo, and the Eljo mankind, and one man another. And every one sold himself to work iniquity, and to shed much blood, and the earth was filled with iniquity. And after this, this is still in a pre-flood context, I maintain that Jubilee 724, the after this of Jubilee 724, is exactly the same as the after that of Genesis 6-4. If you just pair them up together, it's still in a pre-flood context. So he's describing angels mating with women, the offspring and the violence that ensued because of that. And after this, it's still in the pre-flood context, they sinned against the beasts and the birds and all that moves and walks on the earth. And much blood was shed on the earth and every imagination and desire of men imagined vanity and evil continually. This is perfectly paralleled with Genesis chapter 6. And the Lord destroyed everything from off the face of the earth because of the wickedness of their deeds and because of the blood which they had shed in the midst of the earth. He destroyed everything. And we were left. And I and you, my sons, and everything that entered with us into the ark, and behold, I see your works before me, that you do not walk in righteousness, for in the path of destruction you have begun to walk, and ye are parting one from another and are envious one of another and so it comes that ye are not in harmony my sons each with his brother for I see and behold the demons have begun their seductions against you and against your children and now I fear on your behalf that after my death ye will shed the blood of men upon the earth and that ye too will be destroyed from the face of the earth for whoso sheddeth man's blood and whoso eateth the blood of any flesh shall be destroyed from the earth and shall not be left and there shall not be left any man that eateth blood or that sheddeth the blood of man on the earth nor shall there be left to him any seed or descendants living under heaven for unto Sheol shall they go and unto the place of condemnation shall they descend and unto the darkness of the deep shall they be removed by a violent death there shall be no blood seen upon you of all the blood there shall be all the days in which ye have killed any beast or cattle or whatever flies upon the earth and work ye a good work to your souls by covering that which has been shed on the face of the earth and ye shall not be like him who eats with blood but guard yourself that none may eat blood before you cover the blood for 
Thus have I been commanded to testify to you and your children together with all flesh, and suffer not the soul to be eaten with the flesh, that your blood, which is your life, may not be required at the hand of any flesh that sheds it on the earth. For the earth will not clean will not be clean from the blood which has been shed upon it, and only through the blood of him that shed it will the earth be justified throughout all generations. And now, my children, hearken, work judgment and righteousness, that ye may be planted in righteousness over the face of the whole earth, and your glory lifted up before God, before my God, who saved me from the waters of the flood. And behold, you will go and build for yourself cities, and plant in them all the plants that are upon the earth, and moreover, all fruit-bearing trees. For three years the fruit of everything that is eaten will not be gathered, and in the fourth year its fruit will be accounted holy, and they will offer the first fruits acceptable before the Most High God, who created heaven and earth and all things. Uh, Let them offer the abundance let them offer in abundance the first of the wine and oil as first fruits on the altar of the Lord who receives it and what is left let the servants of the house of the Lord eat before the altar which receives it and in the fifth year make ye the release so that ye release it in righteousness and uprightness and ye shall be righteous and all that you plant shall prosper thus did Enoch the father of your father command Methuselah his son, and Methuselah his son Lamech, and Lamech commanded me all the things which his fathers commanded him. And I also will give you commandment, my sons, as Enoch commanded his sons in the first jubilees while still living. The seventh in his generation he commanded and testified to his sons and to his sons' sons until the day of his death. Wow, lots of stuff there three minutes before break, <laughs> before the end of the show, actually. Uh, he made it. Yeah, we made it. Um, any thoughts on on that? Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting as far as the fruit. And um, fourth I, year. I thought it was really cool, too, that they, on the fourth year, when they do take uh, the fruit that they offer first to the Most High, and that's, you know, in similarity to the whole uh, feast of first fruits, where the high priest takes the the barley sheaf and as a wave offering for the sin of Israel and then after they do that then they begin to even consume of the new harvest uh, but until that time they eat of what is the old harvest mm-hmm. yeah um, uh, when the Israelites came into the land they had to do the same thing like with the with the fruit and the plants and stuff when, when they mm-hmm. began to possess the land of Canaan though I was looking at that as something uh, possibly different going on there is that I, w- I was going down the path of the sins of the fathers are visited up to the third and fourth generation uh-huh. and that we see that there was the the uh, fourth generation of the the uh, Canaanites in the land uh, when they came into there and that they you know they encounter hybrid food and so right. my thinking was that even the food itself the the plants itself they had to be cleansed you know th- right. through the four year deal uh, just like the people. Yeah, that would make sense to me. Yeah, and in this passage uh, that we just read here in Jubilees, that's where we get a bunch of different names, different classes of the giants there. Mm-hmm. The immediate offspring of the angels appears to be the Naphadim, 
and they mm-hmm. were all unalike, and they devoured one another. Uh, and, and that goes along with the uh, the, the judgment. It's like they were to kill each other off. Right. So that yeah, that's oh. what we read in the book of Enoch as well. Yeah, Enoch. That's part of the severe judgment was the parents had to right. watch their children. Yeah, but and I mean, the it, angels would set them against each other, and and they were literally eating each other. I mean, that's pretty hardcore. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and the giants. You know, I wonder. I mean, if if that's in, a reference to the Nephilim, or if it's another class, and they're they're killing the Nephil, and the Nephil are killing the Eljo and the Eljo, Eljo yeah. mankind. So this is like multi-tiered down. And I was trying to draw parallels in other ancient cultures, like you had the Titans and then the Olympians mm-hmm. and then the demigods below that. Like the, you know, many different ancient cultures had multi-tiered levels of gods. Right. And I was trying to you know pair them up with the the Hebrew account, but it looks like we get more here than I did, and you know most of the others was like two or three tiers. Yeah, um, I wonder if um, these titles are found in that uh, book of the you know the proper names and the. Oh, dictionary. Uh, you know I doubt it because uh, they're not actually you know that book yeah, is covering what's actually the in the in the canonized text, but mm-hmm, yeah. Well, uh, that's it, man. We got a few minutes for the end of here, so another good, good show. show man. Yeah, thanks, and uh, we'll continue this uh, next week on your show. All right, sounds good. Be blessed, everyone. All right. Good night, good night everybody. Thank you for joining us on the Revolutionary Radio Project. Good night, everybody. Good night.